Hello, and thank you for joining me on Underneath the Hat podcast, airing every Saturday at 10 o'clock a.m. Central Time. This is speaker, author, and broadcaster of Underneath the Hat, Cherie Simmons, and I am so happy and grateful you are joining me for a powerful of financial and credit literacy with such a beautiful soul who has an exceptional story to share. My very special guest is Sam Edwards. Sam Edwards is a lifelong entrepreneur, businesswoman, and mother of two sons, 20 and 4. In Virginia, she has been self-employed since 11 years old. She has amassed a wealth of knowledge from exposure to but not limited to hair care, massage therapy, insurances, real estate, and mortgages. Ms. Edwards has a passion for collaboration, being a professional problem solver, and great connector of like-minded professionals. Thank you for joining me on Underneath the Hat podcast, and how are you? I'm great. I'm great, Cherie. Thank you for having me. No problem. So let's jump right in. Who are you underneath the hat? Wow, that's a great question. I'm I'm a lot of things underneath the hat. Um, some people would say I'm a little off in the head, but um, I'm a visionary. I'm an empath. Um, I'm a mom, sister, daughter. Um, I'm a mentor. Um, but um, I guess at my core, I'm I'm really I'm really a visionary at the core. I would say. Okay. And what what do you feel is your purpose? I know going through the things that I was mentioning in my book underneath the hat, I realized my purpose through the pain that I had went through. So what is your purpose and why do you feel you were chosen to fulfill it? Absolutely. I definitely have to agree with you on um, your pain revealing your purpose to you. And um, I often say that your purpose is not connected to your success. It's connected mm-hmm. to your struggle. And mm-hmm. the reason for that is, you know, like you, I can definitely say that my purpose became more clear through some of the painful and, you know, adverse situations that I experienced myself. So um, my purpose, as I'm learning it to be now, is to empower people with knowledge, mm-hmm. especially um, as it relates to finances and wellness. So um, I feel that I was, I guess, chosen to take on this mission and vision and purpose um, as a result of all the different areas that um, all the different industries that I've worked in over the years, whether it was massage therapy as a hairstylist, working as a real estate agent, uh, mortgage consultant. So I've, I've touched uh, quite a few areas of uh, life insurance, health insurance. So um you know, just a lot of the knowledge I think we can amass in life. We, we just, you know, we can fill our heads with all this trivia, but knowledge only becomes power when you apply it. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm really excited about um, the work that I do now at, as far as empowering people with information that I know is pertinent to situations that, I've, that they've already gone through or situations they will go through in the future. Okay. Well, I have a lot of questions about financial and uh, credit literacy, but the very first question I have comes Mm -hmm. from a personal experience. Mm -hmm. So I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago because a couple of months ago, I had a family member who passed and they didn't have any insurance. And so to see my family struggle and trying to 
uh, Rob Peter to pay Paul in order to bury this person. I just couldn't understand why for the life of me, knowing the lifestyle that this person had, that they didn't have their ducks in a row. Mm -hmm. So given the background that you have with with insurance, how Mm -hmm. important is it that people would get themselves ready for the day when they're no longer here? No, it's, it's, well, I think what becomes the central part of that conversation is how aware are we of how these things work? Uh-huh. Unfortunately, over the years, I've, I've met several people who actually thought that if they attended church and they paid their tithes, that their church would bury them. Uh-huh. Um, you know, a lot of people become dependent on their parents. And, um, you know, just always trusted Big Mama or Pop Pop to have things lined up. And, you know, they just never got around to it. And as time passed and years passed, a lot of times people just don't think about it. And no one expects to die. I mean, none of us, you know, know our, you know, our day of departure, you know. So, um, and I think a lot of people just plan to get around to it and they never do. So it's it's one of those unfortunate things that happen as a result of a lack of um, education and exposure uh-huh. and uh, or just a matter of procrastination or, you know, expecting someone else to take control of issues that we really should take on ourselves. Right. I always say I, I like to be ready. I like to stay ready so I don't have to get ready. So All right. I'm right you, with you on that. <laughs> yes. So what would you say are some tips that you can give people who can ultimately start preparing for that day now? Um, I think just starting the conversation is important. Um, unfortunately, um, you have a lot of misinformation out there. Um, personally, with my experience with someone passing away, uh, my grandmother had insurance, but it came to find out, uh, we came to find out after her passing that she had multiple insurance policies, but they were accidental policies. So, um, you know, when she died of natural causes, you know, none of them paid. So that was quite unfortunate. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, not only just misinformation, but depending on who you're getting your information from, you could get misinformed. For example, if you got um, a whole life insurance policy, which, you know, in its own respect, is, is um, it's, there's definitely a place in the insurance world for whole life insurance. It's important to understand that you can't use your cash value and your um, and your face your face value so you know if you borrow against your policy it's just that if you don't pay that money back in you won't have a face value so you know um, just a a lack of um, education especially in um, in cultures and in societies where we're not as advantaged as Mm -hmm. as others you know if you're if your family is very well versed in how insurance works and you have the information, then you can make an educated choice. But if you don't have the information, it's more likely that you'll be unprepared. So I would definitely, I would definitely say look into some type of literacy, even if you don't buy a policy with a company. Uh, just get some information. But um, that, that's really a part of the purpose, my purpose, and why I do what I do is just to create an environment, an atmosphere where professionals are able to share information with you know, other professionals and by virtue of just um, referring, you know, the current customers that you have to someone else who can really make sure their needs are taken care of. That's really how we accomplish this work and through uh, free financial literacy um, workshops. That's what I do. Okay. So 
what would you say on would be an average amount? Because I know some people don't want to get insurance because they may not be able to afford it. They're on a fixed income. And you have some companies that are charging them an arm and a leg. So what would you say would be like an average amount each month that the average policy should cost someone? Well, it really just depends on the case because uh, life insurance uh, premiums are determined by several factors, including your age, your health, whether you're a smoker or not. Ideally, if you're able to uh, put a life insurance policy on a child when they're first born, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, this, you know, one of those, you know, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure type of situation. Yeah. So ideally, you want to buy insurance uh, when the when the insured is as young as possible you know, a few days old, because once you've got that policy in place, then you don't have to worry about, well, what happens if, you know, a medical condition comes up and now you become uninsurable, you know, I mean, you have babies born every day with all types of diseases that could actually disqualify them for uh, affordable insurance policies, but there are also policies available for people who have been diagnosed with you know, illnesses that some people would consider terminal or have a really high risk of passing away at a young age. So everything, everything um, is determined by case by case scenario. The underwriters, which is the person who works with an insurance policy to determine what the risk is. And based on that risk, how much the policy should cost. But I, I would venture to say that everyone can afford to purchase some type of life insurance. So that's, you know, it's just a matter of planning. You know, people will say, well, I can't afford another bill. But truthfully speaking, life insurance is the only thing that you can pay for that will actually put money back into your family's household if something happens to you. Mm-hmm. So whether that, you know, whether that's um, a big policy or a small policy that can at least take care of, you know, your burial, you know, um, course everyone you know it's like oh man I want to leave, leave a lot of money to my family if, if that's how they think because you know we, we talk to people who you know say oh man I'm not leaving my old lady with all that money for her to go and right. enjoy it with somebody else right you know you hear some funny things in the field when you're working with insurance but uh, when it comes down to it ultimately if you care about leaving a legacy instead uh-huh. of a stack of bills to your family it's definitely a conversation that you want to have perhaps with multiple agents. Um, I've I've worked with companies that only did one type of insurance and and demonized other types of insurance. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, when it comes to some policies, although um, they aren't ideal for one group, for others, it's the only option they have. So um, I think it's really just a matter of understanding whole versus term, how those types of policies work, why they're designed the way they are, and who they're a perfect complement for. Okay. Well, if you're just tuning in, this is Cherie Simmons of Underneath the Hat Podcast with our special guest, Stan Edwards, and we are discussing financial and credit literacy. So now, how important is having a strong financial mindset or plan? It's, if, if you care about what your lifestyle looks like, it's mm-hmm. right up there with air. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. It's right up there with air. Um, you know, most people don't plan to fail. Mm-hmm. You know, they just fail to plan. And when you fail right. to plan, you know, failure is usually pretty imminent behind that. I, I don't know anyone who's who's made a mistake and fallen into a really cushy lifestyle. So it's not about luxury. 
You know, right. it's not about being rich and famous, but it is about having an understanding of how finances work so that even if you just, you know, if you're happy with simple things, you'd really, you know, you're good with, you know, a car that's not really at the high end of the spectrum or you don't have to have a big house that you're okay with all those simple things. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to have a mindset to be prepared for, you know, the unexpected. You know, right. there are certain things we know can happen or that will happen. We know that, you know, death is a part of life. None mm-hmm. of us are getting out of this thing alive, right? Right. But um, it's also important to think about retirement. Um, you know, when you get around, you know, I just turned 40 last year. So when you get to this age, especially as a woman, we first thing we think about is, man, well, what do I have to show for all of my effort and time? And I'm sure men go through that same thing too, but yeah. you don't want to look up one day and have what you need in order to survive and when you know your your vitality has waned or you you know you've gotten some injuries which Mm -hmm. I'm very familiar with if you know if you're working in the trades you want to have a mindset of preparedness just in case you're injured because if you can't work you know and all of your income is tied to your physical capability then you're putting yourself in a position of harm's way and maybe losing everything you've worked hard for so you know, I've, I've been through all of those knocks and bruises. I've got scars to prove it. But that's also what makes me so passionate about what I do. Um, right. If you're a hairstylist, barber, a plumber, electrician, your family depends on your daily efforts physically. You yeah. want to make sure that you have some disability income replacement insurance in place. It's not just like a nice little fancy add on or you just looking for another bill. That's one bill that you can elect to pay. You can elect how large a policy you want to have to make sure that it puts money back into your household, replaces your income if you become injured. So, you know, I I experienced that myself last year. And um, I believe this now I believe it's a part of my purpose. But when it happened, I was just like, oh, my God, this is like a nightmare come true. Um, Uh I've been making my income for 25 years on my feet sometimes 10 and 14 hours a day. If you've got a successful business like that, you work a lot. You may not eat well because you're always at work. And that time and those repetitive injuries, they start to catch up with you. And if you're not prepared, you could literally lose everything in a matter of weeks. Wow. Because I'm a a teacher here in Chicago and Mm -hmm. I have, (laughs) doesn't like when I talk about it, but I have my will already prepared, and I'm only 37. I know who's what, who's to say what, when it's time to be said, where the paperwork is. I tell them what insurance policy is to cover what, how much is to go to whom, and they don't like to talk about it, but I've seen enough people where the family is arguing over money, or they don't have the money to do what needs to be done, and so I us already know so that you can grieve without having anxiety attacks because you don't know how you're going to deal with me no longer being here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I, I definitely have to applaud you on that because I, I promise you I've met multiple people twice your age mm-hmm. who still don't like to talk about death. Yeah. I mean, who, who really wants to? But I mean, like I said, none of us are going to get out of this thing alive. You know, exactly. and Sometimes it like it literally takes something drastic to happen and to see someone's family torn apart for them to realize how important it is to have life insurance, to have a will, to have a living will, 
to have a power of attorney, both legal and medical power of attorney. So those are all aspects of financial preparedness that we often don't discuss because if our parents have already taken care of it, which a lot of times we find out they have not, um, you know, if they have taken care of it, you know, it's easy to kind of defer that responsibility. So the elder generation, but, you know, Anytime, you know, you're looking up and we're 35, 40, 45 years old, we are the elders. And a lot of us are sandwiched between taking care of our parents and taking care of children. If, you know, you have a parent to pass away and their affairs are not in order because we want to avoid, you know, avoid the discomfort of discussing it, then now you have to figure out how to bury a family member and possibly take out loans and you know the person in the family that's got decent credit or owns a business or something they Mm -hmm. become the target because everyone thinks they should take care of it but you know it's I mean you know I I work with some professionals that can that actually sit down with families like Mm -hmm. family reunion style and say hey listen let's come up with a plan let's put this life insurance policy into place for um, (laughs) put uh, this life insurance policy into place for you know, for me, mom, papa. So now when they pass away, not only is their funeral and their burial taken care of nicely with respect, you know, to all they talk for the family, but there's some land paid off, maybe some land left to the family members or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the policy payout is big enough for the family to, you know, finance the kids, you know, uh, college education, the grandkids college education through the dividends from yeah. that invested life insurance policy so that there's no probate issue. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't have anything, you know, I don't have to worry about what's going to get divided. Well, mm-hmm. if you have minor children, you need to have a will. Yeah. If you, um, if you, if you have anything, if you have a car, like financial preparedness also involves understanding how your property is deeded. If you're a homeowner or you have even a car, if that property is not deeded properly mm-hmm. and, someone passes away it may be inaccessible for the family to even get a title transferred to the appropriate driver so it can be insured so it's mm-hmm. things like that that make a huge difference and yeah. what the landscape and the tone of your family looks like when someone passes away okay now what about a financial starter kit because one thing i learned going through my <laughs> issues with my first marriage is i relied solely even though i made more money he was mm-hmm. in charge of all of the money. So, and I had no idea how to budget. Um, I was coming straight out of college into being a wife. So, and the experience of budgeting money and paying bills. So, he did the bulk of that. I didn't understand how to do it myself until mm-hmm. we separated. And I was thrown in to doing it. So, what would you say would be um, a financial starter kit? that people should be able to have and follow through so that they can get their finances in order? Um, That's a really good question. I think the best way to start that is not wait until adulthood to start having that conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Personally, you know, my mom didn't know what to tell me, but, you know, like some of the information that she gave me and, you know, I hear being passed around, you know, whether it's in person and a beauty salon or barbershop or whether it's online, there's a lot of misinformation out there, not only about credit, but about savings and banking accounts and 
um, the types of insurance policies you should have, whether you should use credit cards. I mean, I hear people say, well, just don't get credit cards and your credit will be fine. That couldn't, mm. you, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, you also got to have a conversation about how to use credit cards as a tool and realize right. it's, you know, you can actually strategically use a credit card and other different types of vehicles to build your credit score so that you have more purchasing power. But even with that, you got to understand the difference between credit limit and how much of that credit limit you use. Uh-huh. You know, you use over a certain amount that's actually driving your score down on credit cards because, you know, it looks like you're strapped for cash. So, I mean, there's lots of conversations that can be had at even 8, 10, 12 years old, not to mention conversations that we should be having with our kids before before the 10th grade. Because there are scholarships that you can apply for, for full-ride scholarships that have to be applied for by April of their 10th grade year, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and yeah. if you don't start talking to kids about college once they're in 11th grade, they've already missed out on a lot of money. Right. Um, we need to have conversations with our children and understand what they, they're really into. Because if we have, uh, if the majority of conversations about transitioning into adulthood um, leaves an expectation in place for them to go to college just because it sounds good, but they don't even know what type of career they want to go into. Well, why are you going to have these kids in, in debt for $120,000 to $150,000 just mm-hmm. to make the family proud? You know, and they don't know what they're doing. They don't know where they're going. By the time they finish college, they've got enough debt to have purchased a home. And they're with a a general degree, don't really know what they're going to do next, and discover then that the job, you know, they thought they could get, along with the rest of their graduating class, doesn't pay enough to pay Mm -hmm. back student loans and support their own lifestyle. So Exactly. You know, I, I personally, I know a lot of people who fit that category um, who are just struggling with student loan debt, you know, mm-hmm. ratio issues. So even if they make a decent income, well, you got so much debt that your income doesn't balance that out to become a homeowner. So then you get trapped right. into steadily rising rents. The rent is always higher. Your income isn't keeping up with it. So you find yourself trapped and by 30, you're filing for bankruptcy. So it's a cycle that if we start the conversation early, understand, okay, student loan debt is real debt. You know, credit cards that you get in college, that's real debt. You know, there are things that you can strategically do to exercise your rights under the law, under the uh, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, where you can have negative items removed from your credit. You can check your credit score. We should not be finding out what our score is when we go and applying for cars with our tax returns. You know, hmm. we shouldn't be yep. what our credit score is the first time we get turned down to become a homeowner. We should already hmm. have a strong literacy of what's happening because your credit score is the most important uh, number in your financial life. So if we don't know where we are, you know, it, it's it's pretty impossible to, to get where we're going if we don't know where we're starting. Right. And I find myself now that I've that this is my seventh year as a homeowner. I will admit, I had no idea about credit scores and all of those things. So I was one of those people that were like, oh, well, what's this? And how do I get this to go up? But luckily, I was in a position in a job where I was able to pay my bills. I was still in school, so I didn't have to worry about paying back those student loans, which are now starting to kick in. Lord have mercy. <laughs> and I was, my, my credit, my score was up. 
Mm-hmm. But I also didn't accumulate any credit cards during college. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I got older that I realized the importance of having at least 30% of your credit card paid up, your limit still on the card, and then you buying small little items and paying them all, all the way through instead of paying the minimal payment that they send you every month. So it wasn't until I had to go through those things to realize, okay, this number means something. So now I check that number more than I sometimes check my bank account. Like, can my go up? Or I get excited when I get the email and your score went up. Right. So it's like, it's a different mindset once you get older and you have different responsibilities then everything shifts in how it is that you should carry yourself. Absolutely. And I mean, I talk to young people all the time. You know, my, my oldest son is 20, so he actually, oddly enough, he had a bonfire the other night and I was able to have a conversation with a lot of his friends. Some of those, are, some of them are in the army, a couple of them are in college, but you know, you would be surprised how aware young people are now compared to 20 years ago when I was their age, you know, just Mm -hmm. having conversations about their credit score and talking about getting together and, you know, purchasing property together and things like that. So they're like, you know, Miss Ann, let me just let me know what I can do. So I believe that it's our incumbent responsibility as their elders to have those conversations with them. I, you know, I love to sit down with couples, you know, before they get married, like, listen, mm. make sure you guys are having this conversation before you get married. This is how credit works. This is how you cre- check your credit score because, you know, I mean, I worked with a family not too long ago, a couple really young couple. They've been married less than a year. She had excellent credit literacy, excellent financial literacy. He did not. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we know that, you know, three of the main causes of divorce are um, our finances, sex, and children. So, yes. you know, if your finances are jacked up, it's kind of hard to get in the mood, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, yeah. it can definitely cause some dissension between husband and wife. Or, and, you know, what what do you do from there? You know, it's it's a hard hole to dig yourself out of if, you, right. if you're starting off at a disadvantage. So if we have that yeah. conversation early, then they can come up with a game plan so that, you know, pre-marriage, year one of their marriage, year two and five and 10 years down the road, they already have a financial plan that they're working on together. So if you can set that tone pre-marriage, then we see more families staying together. You know, we see less broken homes. We see less child support. You know, we see less, um, you know, less single parenting. So, you know, we're looking at actually rebuilding the community from the inside out just with literacy. Mhm. Cause my my I remarried and my second husband is like that couple you spoke about. He had no idea about any of that, and so I had to come in and we had to have a conversation and shift some things around and build his credit. Cause he he was one of those people that felt I don't need credit cards. Right. And so now he has a credit card that he uses to buy his gas. There you go. So you pay it off, and then building it. And so, but it took for him to be able to step aside and say, "Okay, I don't know. Let me listen to someone that does." And I think that's an issue that a lot of people have. They don't want to let go of the ego. Absolutely. Make sure that they can progress and be better. Absolutely. And 
knows more than they do. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think sometimes, and, and I say this a lot of times, especially in my workshops, sometimes it's hard for a person to care how much you know until they know how much you care. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a, as a woman who has been self-employed pretty much my whole life, I, I realize, especially because I spent a lot of time working in barbershops, a lot of times men's egos can be kind of fragile. So, you know, we got to, yeah. you know, sometimes we got to butter the roll a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. but I think mm-hmm. that if it becomes a norm for us to have these conversations and start from, you know, the assumption that there is no knowledge at all. And then, you know, if you want to fake it and act like you already knew, that's okay too. But mm-hmm. at, at some point, get the literacy in so that we can close that gap, you know, between, um, you know, what we think we know and what we need to know. Right. So, I mean, I tell people I'm a lifelong learner. I knew nothing about credit until a year ago. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, just spending all of my adult life with bad credit, paying high interest mm-hmm. for everything, everything costs more. I had never bought a new set of tires. So it was a life-changing experience just to go in Firestone, get four new tires and walk out of there without having to lay out a penny in cash, you know, or to call my bank and have them say, yes, Miss Edwards, we've approved you for, you know, $20,000 for a car, come out of the bank on Monday and pick this check up and then you go and pick out what you want, you know, it's a completely different experience from all the years where I was like, man, I hope I get a decent tax return and I'm going to go and see what I can get. Then you can go and get the car you want, not the car that they'll let mm-hmm. you get and pay twice exactly. as much for it. So, yep, yeah, it's it's been a, yeah. it's been an experience, but I will say, definitely, um, just if we just start the conversation, so that um, I mean, don't get me wrong, the companies who finance you when you have poor credit, you can be sure mm-hmm. that they're not upset that you have poor credit. Exactly, you know, they make plenty of money on people's ignorance you know mm-hmm. and I mean as a people generally speak I have never met anyone who liked to be called ignorant but when it comes right. down to it you know like you said a moment ago if we can put our pride and ego aside and say you know what there's some information that if I don't know it my life is gonna suck okay yeah. and I mean it's just as real as it gets you know people who have nice things they don't have them just because they're lucky or because they're rich or any of those things at some point they were able to get an understanding of how money works. So, you know, you could be, you could be great at sports. You could be great at writing. You could be highly intelligent, but just not be really aware about how finances work. It's just like being a football player, stepping on the basketball court. If you don't know that you need to dribble, you never get to take a shot. So there's no way you can win a game that you don't know the rules to. Exactly. Even as an educator, I teach third and fourth grade and I, a lot of us have heard that the third grade test scores determine the prison population mm-hmm. in 10 years. So if a child can't read by the time they're in third grade, they know that in 10 years, they'll be in jail. And so they build jails based on the scores of the third grade. And I had that conversation with my kids the first day of school. Mm-hmm. I'm the type of teacher, I'm not going to sit here and see you wrong. I'm not about to lie to you. They make money off you when you fail. And they make problems to trick you so you can fail. Right. And so I need you to know what the rules of the game are so when you go on that court, you know what game we play. That's right. And they're looking at me like, huh? <laughs> and so eventually 
they were able to understand what I was saying when they would see problems in their book. And they would see a multiple choice question option. And if it was if it was an addition problem, they would give you the answer in addition and the answer in subtraction because they knew you wouldn't pay attention to science. That's awesome. And you told us that. I told you that. So right. you got to make sure you pay attention because people out here who want to see you fail, they benefit and profit when we fail as a people. That's right. So before we wrap up, I just had one more question. Certainly. What would you say are the top three things you would tell your younger self about finance? Ooh, that, that's a really good question. Top three things. One, I would say, um, <laughs> I would say um, start a business young and save mm -hmm. as much as you spend. Um, okay. That, that would be, that would be uh, paramount. Uh, two, I would say um, qualify the advice that you take. Hmm. I've taken a lot of advice from, I know per perfectly well-meaning people, you know, mm -hmm. um, but it's easy to put someone on a pedestal when they have just a little more than you. So, right. um, you know, we, we live in the technology era. Uh, once I was ripped off for $700 for credit repair and I ended up in a worse situation later and I mean for three years I could not open a bank account because wow. he, yeah he told the credit bureau that I actually had been a victim of identity theft and I had no way of proving that it was me you know I didn't know nearly what I know now so being a nerd is my right. superpower I've learned a lot but ultimately mm -hmm. just qualify the advice that you take um, and um, <laughs> I would definitely tell my younger self don't be in a rush to grow up because plenty, yeah. plenty of other people told me I didn't listen to that part. <laughs> I was just telling my but, husband last week. I said I really want to be a kid again because these bills and and working, dealing with other people's kids, and ha dealing with stress and having to pay these people this money is like for the birds. I just want to go back to playing with my dogs. <laughs> I don't think I really want to go back to being a kid, but I could definitely take a restart at 16 and mm. I do things a lot differently. Um, you know, I would do things a lot differently now. Um, I, I wouldn't have been in a rush to get married. I wouldn't have been in a rush mm -hmm. to have children. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't have been in a rush to file for bankruptcy mm -hmm. at 20 because my ex-husband thought it was a great idea. So, mm. I mean, they just, you know, you like I said, you gotta, you, there's so much that can be learned if we really plug into uh, not just our elders because some of our elders have some misinformed advice yeah but um to just plug into experts at what they do okay and um, that, that's what I always strive to do with my workshops is just put experts in front of other experts and so where the knowledge grows and we're all, we all become more educated empowered and we support each other in business um you know, and then we can put we can put together events that really reach the community where people right. can get information in, in a palatable way from people they realize, hey, this is just an everyday person. That's a that's a lawyer, that's a judge, that's a, a council person. There, you know, as a senator, you know, mm -hmm. they're they're no more of an everyday person than I am. They have right. some knowledge that I need. Let me get some of it so that I can start to apply it. Because like I said, knowledge is only power when you apply it. Absolutely. 
Well, before you go, I would like to find out what's happening underneath your hat. Are there any events that are going on that you want to promote? Well, I'm really excited about a workshop that we've got going on here in Columbia, South Carolina. It is called the Airbnb Purveyor Workshop. So it is designed especially for veterans, family of veterans. I'm a third generation veteran myself, so I'm really excited to offer this program. So uh, basically it's going to enable the attendees to learn how they can live rent free and monetize monthly. So uh, it will be at the Cobblestone Park Golf Club in Blythewood, South Carolina, right outside of Columbia. It's a gorgeous facility and they're going to learn everything they need to know to plug in with this program. And um, I'd be happy to, um, you know, send you the link for that if you want to post it in your comments or something. But um, if they, um, you know, they want to check out our website and uh, connect with me, they can just go to chosenfewworkshops.us. That's C-H-O-S-E-N-S-E-W-W-O-R-K-S-H-O-P-S, chosenfewworkshops.us. Okay. And I'll also post that in the comments as well, your website as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. I I appreciate you having me on today. Thank you for being here. And I want to promote my upcoming event, the Underneath the Hat Live Open Discussion called Mm -hmm. Thank You for Being a Friend. We're celebrating our BFFs. And so that will be Sunday, February 23rd from 2 to 4 p.m. at West Corbin Library in Chicago on 120 on 119th in Hall Donations are $10 and all the proceeds will benefit the young ladies at all times mentoring program. So I'll have that posted up um, as well. You can reach me on my website. I'm also on Facebook, Underneath the Hat, and Cherie Simmons, and Instagram as well for Underneath the Hat. Again, I want to thank Stan Edwards for joining us and giving us some great insights on our financial and credit literacy. And I want to thank you all for tuning in to Underneath the Hat podcast. You can check us out on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, Pocket Cast, and Overcast. And remember to take care of yourself underneath the hat. Talk to you soon.